Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Jake read the text for us. He read part of it, and we'll finish reading the, the other part. But our context of First and Second Samuel it takes place during the darkest days of Israel's history, during the time of the judges. What has happened is the Israelites have conquered and divided the land, but in some sense, the land has conquered them. The, the Canaanites and some of the Hittites and some of the pagan peoples, they didn't completely drive out. And so what's happened is some of these people have begun to oppress the Israelites, and they would oppress them for so long, and the Israelites would finally cry out to the Lord in repentance, and God would raise up a judge, a military leader, to lead them to victory. So it's during this dark time that the book of First and Second Samuel takes place. But Samuel is born, so there's a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of light as Samuel is born. He, is previous, he was born to a previously barren mother, Hannah, who is dearly loved by her husband, even though he's, he doesn't know how to comfort her very well, but Hannah had been provoked so much by Penina, her husband's second wife, who happens to be able to bear children right and left. She's been, Hannah's been provoked so much by her that she cast her care of the Lord, and she asked for a son. And what she told the Lord, she said, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. So Hannah conceived, she gave birth, and after weaning the boy, she apprenticed him to Eli the priest, and her son's name is Samuel. Look at verse 11 of chapter 2. Then Elkanah, that's Hannah's husband, went home to Ramah. And the boy, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now, the main point of our text, and when we're teaching through a text, you always want to know what is the main point. The main point of our text this morning is a comparison between Samuel and Eli's sons. Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Samuel is left here in Shiloh with Eli, where he's ministering to the Lord. Now look also at verse 18 real quickly, looking at Samuel. Verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, which is what the priest wore. Also look at verse 21. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah. She conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Again, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. So here you see Samuel, a picture of Samuel, who's ministering before the Lord, serving the Lord, growing in the presence of the Lord. But then look at verse 12. You see a comparison here. A contrast, if you will, of Eli's sons. What does it say about Eli's sons? They were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. So our first point of, from our text this morning is, notice the main point. Samuel is a servant. He is concerned with the Lord's interest. Eli's sons are only concerned with their own. Samuel's He's going to become a great leader. And great leaders in the Bible are, first of all, great servants. I mean, anybody can give orders, but not everybody can take them, right? 
Think about some Old Testament leaders. Joseph, he became the savior of Jacob's family by becoming the leader in Egypt. He was second only to Pharaoh in all the land, but do you remember how he got there? Joseph was, first of all, a servant in Potiphar's house. But he served in such a way, Jeff, that he, he had authority over everything in that home except Potiphar's wife. After she falsely accused him, he's thrown in jail. And guess what Joseph did in prison? He served that jailer in such a way that he was put in charge of all the prisoners. Joseph became leader in, of Egypt. But first, he was a servant. Other great leaders, think about Moses. Before he led the Israelites out of Egypt, he served his father-in-law, Jethro. Joshua, before he led the Israelites across the Jordan into the promised land to conquer it, he first served Moses. David, the great king, the greatest king Israel has ever seen. If you remember, what did he do as a child? He served his father, and then he served King Saul. He was a servant before he was a servant leader. And Samuel, he'll become the last judge, the first prophet in Israel. But here we see him, first of all, a servant. He was a servant leader. And maybe some of us aspire to be leaders. Maybe some of our graduates, we aspire to lead. Are you, first of all, a servant? Is there a task too menial for you to complete? Is there, are there things beneath you? I think about, as I think about servant leaders, I think about Dave Harry. He was a teammate of ours in China. He and Kelly, some of our favorite people in all the world. And the first time I met Dave, I was leading a small group in Louisville at a, a church there, Ninth and O Baptist Church. And I had a small group that Jeannie and I were leading of singles. And they're all, for the most part, graduate students about 40 in all, and probably 25 of those were divinity school students. They were in seminary. They were wanting to be preachers. And we're leading that group, and I met Dave the first day he visited. He came to our small group. I met him, and it was a really interesting dynamic in that small group because all of these guys are really, really sharp. I mean, these guys would bring their Greek New Testament with them, and they wouldn't bring the English translation. They just, just the Greek New Testament, and that's what they would read and study out of. They were really, really sharp. Really, really intelligent. And some of those, they're in divinity schools teaching now, and they're in Lifeway, and they're doing all these things. But the problem some of these guys had is they didn't want to serve. They wanted to teach, especially on Sunday, because keep in mind, Adam ended up leading this group of folks. He, he, he understands this group. They were single. So what are these preacher boys, what do they want to do? They want to get up and kind of show out in front of the ladies, right? Because they're single looking for a spouse. And they would always ask me, hey, when am I going to get a chance to teach? Well, we also went to the nursing home on Sundays. We would get finished with our small group. We would go eat lunch, and we'd go to a nursing home, and we'd have church at a nursing home. And so anybody that ever asked me to teach on Sunday, I would say, hey, I'd love for you to be able to teach on Sunday. Why don't you teach at the nursing home on a certain, certain day? Well, of course, they was always too busy for that, most of them, right? Too busy for that, so they never got to teach on Sunday. But Dave was different. I, I met Dave one Sunday. The next Sunday, the following Sunday, he had visited our church one time. The following Sunday, he's there early parking cars. So when I pull into the church, he's out there helping the guys, the deacons, park cars. And that stru struck a chord with me. I said, hmm, here's a keeper right here. And you know what would happen when I would need somebody to fill in teaching our small group? Guess who I'd get to do it? It wasn't these cats bringing the Greek New Testament into their small group. It was Dave Harry. 
And Dave sometimes would say, as, he, as, as I end up leaving to go uh, overseas, guess who got to teach and lead that shepherd, that small group? Dave Heary. And Dave would say, man, it was, it was kind of awkward at times leading this group of seminary students because some of them are really, really sharp. He said, I don't really feel adequate. I said, no, buddy, you're more than adequate because you're a servant. You're a servant. You've got to be a servant before you become a servant leader. How do you know if you're a servant or not? Are you a servant? Maybe you can answer that question by answering another one. Are you treated like a servant? Do people ask you to do things? You say, well, no one asked me to chaperone the beaver kids overnight. No one asked me to work on Saturday, work day. No one asked me to do this. No one asked me to do that. Why is that? Could it be that they know you don't want to do it anyway? Could it be that they're scared to ask you because you might not do it? Might not want to do it, right? Yeah. Samuel was a servant who became a servant leader. And Samuel's kind of like a, he's a Christ-like figure, right? We've already talked about that. Jesus, what does the Scripture say about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a what? Servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Samuel, we see him serving, ministering before the Lord. We contrast that with Eli's sons, verse 12. It says that they were worthless men who did not know the Lord. Now, the Lord said the same thing about Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh, he refused to listen to Moses and let the Israelites leave Egypt. So Pharaoh boasted, I don't know the Lord. Now, in this case, it wasn't an admission of ignorance, but an assertion of defiance. Who is this God? I don't know him, right? So Pharaoh refused to acknowledge the Lord. He wouldn't heed God's demands and commands. And in their own way, Eli's sons were doing the same thing. I mean, think about Israel. They're a chosen nation. Chosen out of all the earth to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these young men were priests with the solemn duty of doing what? Teaching the people the law of God helping them offer sacrifices for the atonement of sins. But the Scripture says they were worthless. They didn't know the Lord. What's it like to have a priest like that? Look at verses 13 through 17. It's, it's going to tell us. Look, it says, The custom of the priest with the people was that when a man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. They would thrust it into the, the pot and pull out what was going to be theirs to eat. Now, before that, what they would do is they would take the meat with all the fat on it, and they would roast it. And what would happen? That roasted meat, just like we would do today, right? It would, this aroma would go up to the Lord as a sacrifice to the Lord. And then it was put in the pot and boiled, and they would take their portion. The servants, they, the priests were servants who took their portion from the pot, from the sacrifices, right? Leviticus chapter 7, 
verse 23 through 25, tells us about the fat portions. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel saying, You shall eat no fat of ox or sheep or goat. The fat of an animal that dies of itself and the fat of one that is torn by beast may be put to any other use, but on no account shall you eat it. For every person who eats of the fat of an animal of which a food offering may be made to the Lord shall be cut off from his people. On no account shall you eat of it. But what did Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons, what did they want to do? They wanted the fat and all. They didn't care what the Lord desired. The fat was to be left and burned off as an offering, fragrant to the Lord. But they treated the offerings of the Lord with contempt. In fact, look at verse 16. The laity, right? The people, right? That they're supposed to be teaching and serving. They rebuke them, right? And if a man said to him, let, him, let them first... Let them burn the fat off first and then take as much as you wish. He would say, no, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Hophni and Phinehas, they were takers, weren't they? But what do we see is Samuel. He's a giver. He's a servant. Verse 18 through 20, Hannah would go to Shiloh every year, and she would take Samuel a new tunic, right? As he's growing, he needs a new one, so she would do so, and Eli would speak words of blessing, a prayer for them to have more children. And verse 21 tells us they did, right? They had three more sons and two daughters. She asked for a child and told the Lord, I, if you give me a child, I'll give them back to you. She kept her word, and what did God do? Blessed her. Yeah, just kind of a side note here. You can't outgive God, can you? You can't outgive God. Give me a, give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And, and she did so, and then God gave her three more sons and two daughters. That's a reaping and sowing principle. Spiritual law, we call it in the scriptures. You can't outgive God. Think about ourselves. Have, do we give? Are we giving people? Do we give even till it hurts? Maybe it's your time, your energy, finances, whatever, but kind of a side note here, you can't you can outgive God. Samuel, he stays in Shiloh and he grew up. He Served the Lord. He had the Lord's interest in mind. Eli's boys, they grew in wickedness, didn't they? They were concerned with only their own interests. That's the first point, contrast between those two groups of folks. The second thing we learn from this text is we're to love God more than anything, even your children. Let's read verses 22 through 26. Read that together with me, page 268 in the Black Pew Bible, if you need to turn there, page 268. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. More comparisons there, isn't it? Samuel's growing in God's approval of him and in man's approval of him, right? Think about Luke chapter 2, speaking of the similar thing was spoken of Jesus in Luke 2, 52. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Yeah, that's what happened with Samuel. But Eli, what did he have to do? He had to rebuke his sons because his sons were wicked, worthless. 
They didn't know the Lord. Think about, oh, Eli. Here he is with Samuel serving the Lord, being diligent, loving God. And here his old wicked boys were. Tough on, oh, Eli, I'm sure, wasn't it? Proverbs 17, 21. He who sires a fool gets himself sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. Some of us can relate to that, can't we? Our children, they are defiant, obstinate. They don't listen to instruction. It saddens our heart, doesn't it? And Eli, he's a tragic figure, isn't he? He seems like he loves God to some degree. To some degree, right? He takes care of Samuel, but his parenting of these two boys is, is really Eli's undoing. He doesn't parent very well. And we see that with several godly folks in the Scriptures, David being one. He just didn't parent well. And I want to remind you, too, before we talk any more about this, that these two boys, they're culpable for their own actions. You know, sometimes we have children, and we can teach them, and we pray over them, and we teach them the Scriptures, and they're just wayward. They're just rebellious. They won't listen no matter what we do. They're going to do their own thing. That happens sometimes. That happens sometimes. They have obstinate hearts. We need to remember that as we look at this, this text. We know godly parents who they have wayward children. Nothing you could do. Just remember that as we, we read this and study this. But Eli, he appears to, to love his sons more than he loves the Lord. He catches wind of their doings. He knows what they're doing, right? They're taking the fat portions of the offering. And you see this lack of self-control, don't you? They wanted this. They had these cravings, and so they're taking the fat portions that were the Lord's. But they, they seems this lack of self-control in one area is, is growing in a lack of self-control in another, isn't it? Their sin and greed has metastasized into fornication with the temple servants. I mean, they're doing horrible things there at the tent of meeting with the temple servants, the ladies who were there to serve. I think about that as, I think about fasting and how that is a wonderful spiritual discipline. It's a wonderful spiritual discipline because lack of self-control in one area of your life will feed over into other areas of your life where there's lack of self-control. You see someone who's, who lies a lot, who's deceptive, who doesn't tell the truth, you'll see them doing other things, leading to other sin. But just as lack of self-control will grow and affect other areas of your life, so will self-discipline. So will self Discipline, developing self-control when it comes to food, it'll affect other areas of discipline in our lives. I look forward to being able to teach on that in the, in the weeks and months to come. But Eli rebukes his boys, doesn't he, here in verse 23 through 25, but the Lord had given them over to their sin as judgment. They wouldn't listen, verse 25. It was the will of the Lord to put them to death. What does that mean? It means that God's delighted in putting them to death. For some of you, you're thinking, well, 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 wait a minute. I know Ezekiel, somewhere in Ezekiel, well, it's chapter 33, verse 11. It says, I, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Well, which way is it, right? Does God delight in 
the death of the wicked, or does he not? There's a tension here, right? It teaches us, I think, that God's complex, isn't he? We serve a very complex God. And there's a sense where God does not delight in the death of the wicked. That, that includes Hophni and Phinehas. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 21, it says, The judgment of God it says, is his strange work. There's a tension there. He doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, but yet it's his, on one hand, it's his delight to put them to death. Attention there, we have to work through. The Lord in his justice will and must punish the wicked. But also in his love and mercy, he has a desire to save, and that lies still closer to the center of his heart. Attention there. God's not to be trifled with. He's not to be taken lightly. And Eli tells his boys, if you, if you sin in this way, there's no one to intercede for you. And what he's saying there is, you're going to die. And that's what happens. But what's interesting is Eli never removes them from service. They're serving in the Lord in the temple doing these heinous things before the Lord, and he doesn't remove them. I mean, the things they're doing is an abomination to God, and Eli allowed it. He cared more for his boys than he did God's word. I mean, Eli's sons, they weren't thankful. I mean, they had an opportunity to, to minister, to serve the Lord. They weren't thankful for their opportunity to lead others in worship. Right? They weren't concerned about God's glory. No, they're, they show contempt for these things, and they're filling their bellies with the Lord's sacrifice, and they're fornicating in the tent of meeting. So what happens, verse 27 through 36, a prophet of God comes and tells Eli what's, what's going to happen to his family. This position his family had been given as priest is going to be taken away. There came a man, look at verse 27, there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, thus saith the Lord, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I not choose him, he's speaking of Aaron, out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me, I gave to the house of your father all my offspring by fire from the people of Israel. When they do, when, when, why then do you scorn my sacrifice and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest part of every offering of my people Israel. One of the themes we see in First and Second Samuel we've introduced the last few weeks is there's this great reversal. Things who are proud, people who are proud and haughty, what does God do in the book of First and Second Samuel? He humbles them. And those who are humble, what does he do? He exalts them. And that's what happens with Hophni and Phinehas. They're humbled. And this promise given to Aaron that your, your family, someone in your family will always be priest, guess what? That's conditional because that stops with Eli. Verse 35 and 36 tells us another will be given this position. And I will raise up for myself, verse 35, a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. What's happening? He's saying, 
is there's going to come another who's going to be a faithful high priest. And we know that Samuel, even though he's a He's the last judge and he's a prophet. He's going to serve as a priest for a time. But ultimately, we know this is going to be fulfilled in who? In Jesus, right? Yeah, Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus becomes the great high priest who, who makes propitiation for the sins of the people. See, Eli loved his boys, but he loved God less. He loved God less than he loved his boys, so he broke the first commandment. He honored his sons above God. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me, Jesus is saying this, is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It's Mother's Day, right? I mean, we're honoring women who love their kids. We should love our children, fathers and mothers. We have to love God more. Loving our children is important, but it's not the most important on Mother's Day. Well, how do we love our kids more than God? How do we love our kids more than we love the Lord? We don't discipline them. What's God say? We're to discipline our children, train them up in the way they should go, right? When we don't discipline our kids, we're loving our kids more than we love the Lord, which is kind of oxymoronic because if you don't discipline your kids, the Bible says you don't love them. You hate them, Right? We love our kids more than we love God when we don't teach them to, our kids, our children to revere the Lord. Sometimes people tell me, you know, I don't, I don't push religion on my kids. I get that sometimes. I'm a preacher, you know. And they'll say, I don't really push religion on my kids. I mean, I get that, you know, whether they submit to the Lord or not, this ultimately is an individual's decision, Right? But we have to steer them towards the, the one person that can satisfy their every law. And, and the only problem with that is people who say they don't push religion on their kids, they push a lot, a lot of other stuff on their kids, right? I don't push religion on them. Mm. Application. What do we, how do we apply this text today on Mother's Day? I think, again, Samuel, he's... He's the lowly Samuel, the servant, who's ministering before the Lord. He's exalted to a position of prophet as he ministers to the Lord. Hophni and Phinehas, they are proud, arrogant, right? And they're brought low. We'll read in the the coming weeks about their death. Hophni and Phinehas weren't concerned with the Lord's will, the Lord's fame. They were consumed with satisfying their own desires just think about that. This last week, think about our week and, you know, how has how your week gone in regard to your priorities and your life? Could your week, life this past week be characterized by a, uh, a, a servanthood and servitude and loving the Lord humbly? Or is your Maybe your life this week has been characterized by self-absorption and disobedience. So by application, we'll say, let's be like like Samuel, right? Real simple application. Let's be like Samuel. Let's serve. Let's serve the Lord. Let's serve each other. Don't be arrogant. Be humble. 
Secondly, do we love God more than anything, even our children? But I just love my babies so much. Well, that's awesome. Love them so much. But love God more. And there's not anything I wouldn't do for my babies. Hope you'd say that about the Lord. And more, more so. Love my baby so much. You should love your baby so much. Love God more. If that's not the case, repent. You know, sometimes we, we have new babies and the baby becomes the idol, right? You have a baby and it should be this wonderful time of celebration and, and thanksgiving to the Lord. And then all of a sudden the baby becomes more important than the spouse, right? And there's like this, what? Just marital problems, right? Yeah, don't, be, don't, have, don't let your children be idols in your life. Thirdly, and lastly, Hophni and Phineas, they didn't know the Lord. So their lives, they're characterized by godlessness and disobedience and self-absorption, debauchery. And what's the result? We didn't see it in today's text, but the result is they die. God kills them, matter of speaking. God delighted in doing so. So my question for you, lastly, is do you know the Lord? I mean, it specifically says they did not know the Lord. Turn back to chapter 2. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. Why were they worthless? Because they did not know the Lord. So my question for us today is, do you know the Lord? Lastly, a bunch of folks here today, providence of the Lord brought you here. Glad you're here. Hope you've been encouraged and you felt loved and the true songs. I hope the music we sing, I hope you, you and your children sing it all throughout the week. That's what we do at our home. We walk through the house and the sing, songs we sing here, my kids will be singing and I'll be singing. But maybe you're here and you're like, I just, I don't know the Lord. My life is characterized by being self-absorbed and doing what I want to do. What governs your life and how you live your life is yourself and what your own pleasures and desires. That's characteristic of a lost person, a godless person. So maybe you're here and you say, I, I don't know the Lord. I can't say that I know the Lord. Well, the, the bad news is, like Hophni and Phinehas, you'll be struck down and you'll be separated from the Lord for all eternity in hell. And God will pour out his wrath upon you because that's what he must do. Because he's a just God. The good news is he's a loving God as well. And he sent his son Jesus to live and to die for us. He walked this earth completely obeying the Lord for us in our place. And then he died on a cross in our place. See, he not only died and paid our sin debt, but he lived the life we had to live. It's, it's not either or, it's both and. Not only do we have to have somebody to pay the penalty for our sin, receive the wrath of God, we also have, someone, have to have someone to live a life for us that we can ourselves live. And Jesus did that. Jesus was crucified. He died. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead for our justification. He ascended into heaven. One day, the Bible says he's coming back to judge. But the great news, great news, is that God's loving compassionate. He wants you, sinner, to today to repent and trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. And the Bible says if you 
If you do confess your sin, he is faithful and he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And what happens is when you're cleansed from all unrighteousness, is you, you can have a relationship with the God that we serve and love. And there's so many in this room who've done that, who've repented, they've turned from their sinful ways and they've trusted Christ's work on the cross and now they know the Lord. Like me, I know the Lord. And it's not because I'm good or I got it together. It's because, no, because God opened my eyes to see my sin brought about godly sorrow in my life, which led to repentance, which means I turned from my living for myself and doing what I want to do, and now I, I live for the Lord, not perfectly, but I'm living for the Lord because he saved my soul. He saved me from what? God saved me from God. God saved me from his wrath. And now I have a relationship with the God, and I can approach him boldly because of what Christ has done for me. And I know my hope is when I die that I'll be with the Lord forever. Where everything's right and good. Can you say that? Hoffman and Phineas, they didn't know the Lord. No hope. Lost. They died. That doesn't have to be true of you today. You can repent and trust the Lord today. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.